Hey there, you're listening to Tail Chase. As hunting opportunities start to open up around the country and our birds finish molting, we hope everyone has a great start to their season. This go-round, we sit down with fellow falconer and working dog enthusiast Tyler Sladen. He made the trip up to Kansas this year to chase early season prairie chickens, and I got to meet up with him, see his dogs do their thing, and then Graham came up so we could sit down and have a conversation. If you have any questions or comments, check us out at our website, tail-chase.com. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the episode. fun dude dog fights suck especially when you have 10 dogs gotta have the dog power though you just gotta walk out there like a ninja (laughs) (laughs) you ever scruff four dogs with two hands it's an achievement that you gotta unlock and then like the other dogs are like hanging off the dog's legs that you're scrubbing like you're like get out of here Yeah. It's always over something stupid, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I haven't luckily had to deal with that much. Even with having a Drotar, he's pretty mild-mannered and gets along with other dogs pretty well. Yeah, Drots are usually pretty good. Thank you for checking in to Tail Chase. I'm Nick. And Graham. Tyler. And we are sitting down after an exhausting day of chasing uh, prairie chickens around... Yeah. Short grass prairies of Kansas. On like three hours of sleep. Yeah. <laughs> what time yeah. did you get into town? 2.30. A.M.? Uh-huh. And then we woke up at 5.30. And I think I got situated in the parking lot and slept in the back of the truck a little before 1. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone was beat. Yeah. You literally have a tick hanging off your arm right there. Nice. Oh, I forgot. Thank you. I forgot what ticks were. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to deal with them in New Mexico at all? None. I'm going to put them on the microphone so <laughs> we can hear them. <laughs> oh, that means all my dogs have ticks on them. Mm. Yeah, this time of year, they seem to not be as bad. Are it's... there a lot of ticks in New Mexico? None, man. None? Too dry. Yeah. There's Well, there's nothing for them to live off of. We don't really True. have deer out in the middle of nothing. Yeah. And I don't really run my dogs where there's mule deer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you guys see any deer today? Yeah, we saw quite a few. Yeah. Driving around, we didn't get any up, I don't think, when we were out. You could see a couple, like, moving, like, the next, like, section over, like, randomly, uh-huh. but we didn't jump any deer. Yeah, especially as they were coming back tonight, I saw a bunch out in the fields. No pheasants, though. No, no pheasants, but we did find some chickens. We found quite a few chickens. Yeah. They don't have prairie chickens in Kansas, though. Yeah, and the walk-in hunting sucks. <laughs> Wouldn't recommend. You can just show up sight unseen and walk five sections of walk-in hunting and put up chickens in three with no help. Yeah. It's really hard. Well, it helps that you have a brace of good dogs, and I don't think just anybody could go out and... No, you have the success that we did today. You need dog power, but still, like, if you've got the dogs, go for it. Yeah. It was pretty fun, man. This is, like, 
the first time for me that I've really been out and seen like a bunch of good dogs. A bunch of good dogs, yeah. But you got to see all Kelly's dogs, so you got to see like like really decorated winning dogs and then mine and I mean Phil's Phil's a guide, so all his dogs have like hundreds of days on wild birds and then Kira is pretty seasoned and then all my other dogs are pretty fresh, so Yeah. It I didn't was... I didn't bring all the all the heavy hitters. No. And why is that? Why did you choose to So I like early gun season to kinda connect the dots for the young dogs. Uh, my old dogs they don't they don't need that. They're they're fine. But young dogs it, it, it definitely flips some switches so they're like oh if I point this bird and I hold it and you flush it and you shoot it, I get to put it in my mouth. And then I get to run around with it, and uh, it's like a light switch goes off. It's it's pretty cool when it finally happens. But they got to do everything right, which takes a lot of, a lot, a lot of messing it up first. Yeah. Yeah. Gamora, I mean, she ran up butterflies and dicky birds for like a solid year, and then one day, she locked up on a scaly, smoked it, and then it was like. She's like, oh, this is what we're this is what we're doing, <laughs> and then she was a great dog after that, and I'm like, all right, so. And then the cocker did her best to keep up all day long. Oh, dude, that that may have been the highlight of the whole day. I was watching her run around every time I caught somebody looking at her. Every single time they had a big smile on their face. Dude, she's just so much fun. I think everyone needs a cocker. Yeah, um, I'm convinced it was a blast having her out there, man. She's actually really good on rabbits too, and like flushing ducks. And oh, really? And she naturally, I mean, thirty yards. She's like, oh, I need to turn around, and then she like, <laughs> her ears flap her way over onto you, and then she runs another thirty yards, and she just does that all day long. Yeah. It's nice because like when you're running big running dogs, at a certain point you're like, oh great, all my dogs are on big, and you look around, and you're like, there's no dogs near me. I'm just like walking through this expanse and so I was like alright I'm gonna add a cocker so now I have like a cocker to stare at and watch yeah, there you go. Like, and then I'm like and then the Garmin goes off I'm like oh cool Kira's on point 400 yards away Let, let's go River like we're gonna go get him yeah they complement each other really well yes very much so and one of the things that I've heard guys talk about with running a flushing dog with pointers is that you can like that they compete and then you, know, you have dogs that start breaking points and stuff when she comes up, but they work together really well. And now it, she does. It didn't. Oh my god! When she was a puppy, she learned really quick that she's like that dog's got a bird. That dog, that's my bird, and she would run like Mach forty and then like flush <laughs> it like eighty yards out, and you're like, oh my god, this is not gonna work. So I had to like really focus on her by herself for a long time. How how did you remedy that? Um. I, I just ran her by herself for a while and then I sent her to a buddy of mine and um, he ran her by herself for a long time and then I just got her back so now I, now she's kind of ready to go. Hopefully uh, she'll get a bunch more field time this year. That uh... She really just needed a, a good sit. So like um, a sit and a stop to flush. So when birds are flushing she's like okay I just sit here and wait. And then when she hears gunshots, she's like, okay, now I'll go get the bird. Yeah. 
We should talk about the hunt a little bit today, especially that uh, first morning. rise. Yeah, this yeah. morning was. We were also tired. I mean, uh, Kelly's dog found chickens at like five hundred yards, and we're like, "Oh yeah, reasons on point." And we like, no one, no one even like was excited, and we're just like, "Yeah." Yeah, but I was thinking about that a little bit. Part of the reason for that, I think, is because we had already had like three like points that weren't productive. And so I think confidence in the dogs was not real high at that moment of, oh, is this really, is there going to be something Looking back on it after like a quick nap at lunch, I was like, why the hell didn't I just run to that dog? Like the dog, dog's a broke field champion. Like the dog's not going to lie to me. Yeah. And then getting up there and watching the chickens get up like 40 yards off her nose, which was kind of depressing because they're like, oh, we can't shoot at them. But, um... She stood broke through the whole flush, and I was like, "Man, that that I, I just wanted to watch that again. I wish I got it on video. That yeah. was really cool. It was it was awesome, and I was like thirty yards or so behind you guys, and so I just had you silhouetted on the. Uh, Did you end up getting a picture there. of it? I need to look at my camera. I I was snapping pictures. I don't know if oh I got God, it or dude, not. That, that's like to see a broke dog stand through flush on a flock of 30 plus chickens is that's like kind of peak remind me before uh we're done with all this to go back through those with you and we'll take a look and see yeah that's fine uh, yeah that was that was pretty awesome we weren't able to get a shot off on any of those um but we did pick up a single not too yeah, long Kira. after that so real quick, what what all were you running at this point? You had Kira out, which is a setter, and what else? We had Kira, my English setter. Kelly had Reason, her Irish setter. And then she had uh, Shandy, her Bisla. And then Phil had Blue, his GSP. And then I had my English Cocker okay. kind of putting around. So there was a, a very diverse convergence of bird dogs, actually, this morning. It was like five breeds running yeah and i got a really cool picture from later in the day um as we were coming back of like three dogs on like one dog pointing and then two others backing and you and phil making in like behind the dogs dude i love when they all back yeah and they did a fair bit today it was it was a struggle at times but a lot of it is some dogs just won't back dogs they just don't know like kira can be kind of a brat about it like if a dog's got unproductive points, she's like, I'm not backing that dog anymore. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she'll stop if I tell her, but she can be a brat about it. But, like, like when I run her with, like, my dogs, like, she knows, like, which ones are my dog. Like, she's not going to back Naya or, uh, um, what's it called, that uh, Parker, but she'll back Trigger and um, Gamora all day long. She, yeah. she knows. She trusts them. But isn't it funny how they figure that stuff out and they just she can be a brat too like sometimes if she sees some dogs go on point and like she's far enough away she'll she'll hightail it the other direction she's like well that dog's got birds over there I'm gonna go find my own birds <laughs> so I like that dog a lot she's got such an interesting look to her facial expression Dude, she's like a human man she's <laughs> like a, a caricature of a dog that just got stuck as a human or something She's funny. Yes. Yes, she is. Yeah, so we got that first group of birds up, and there was probably, what, 30 chickens at in least, that group? At least 30 or more. Yeah. 
and then I don't know what another mile and a half or so of walking. There was like another twenty chickens, and then Kira stuck a single, which she stuck it. I was pretty proud of her. It was it was pretty awesome. She'd never seen a chicken in her life, so come yeah we were Always coming stoked up when she finds new birds yeah for sure man coming up out of the bottom there and she was right on the hillside and we kind of walked our way up there and the bird got you, right up at phil's feet and then yeah. like flew behind him and i like <laughs> it was like the most depressing scene i saw in like ultra slow motion i'm like i'm watching this chicken rise off my favorite dog and then fly around <laughs> phil and i'm like i can't shoot it so then i yelled shoot at him and he got it so yeah and then river with the retrieve so mm-hmm. perfect yeah river knows as soon as river hears the gun goes, she's like i'm gonna get it and she has a very cool move of keeping the bird from other dogs so she just like spins in circles with it and just runs through dog's legs and she just plays frogger with a bird in her mouth <laughs> so it's like a little 20 pound dog running around with a basketball in her mouth she's pretty funny about it yeah she yeah, uh, she's something else, man. And that you walked like basically right past that chicken, cause wasn't it? Yeah, I walked right. I walked right where it was. Yeah. And then was, we came back and it was there. Yeah, and then we walked a little further in, and what another twenty five chickens or so got up off the top of the hill. I don't know what one hundred and fifty yards from us or so. They're kind of like the ultimate like blue balls of bird hunting sometimes. Like you're like, cool, we found them, and they're all gone. <laughs> like they just flew to the next county. Yeah. That's that's kind of why like I really like quail hunting because like you get into a forty bird covey of scalies and they just go everywhere, and then you just pick up singles and doubles for like two hours. Yeah. And uh, that that it's like. Finding the birds is just the beginning with quail versus chickens where you find the birds and you're like, and it's over. And you're like, oh, darn. But I, it's all enjoyable. Yeah. So were these uh, the ones that you got, both birds of the year? Yeah, they were both young mm-hmm. birds. Yeah. They didn't even have tails fully pinned. Really? Yeah, both young hens. Huh. Yeah, and the second bird, so we put on, I don't know what less than two miles to get the first one and then it was crazy none of us had hunted that no one sent us pins of that we're just like everyone's like just go near this town and we're like all right here's 20 walk-in hunting access areas in that town and we just picked the right one we ended up leaving because there was two other hunters there but Mm -hmm. whatever we got we pulled a bird out of it and we saw three coveys and then went back took a nap yeah, yeah. Went to the fairgrounds, let the dogs all out, and yeah. cleaned the truck out, and took a nap, and tried to eat lunch. Yeah, first time I've ever ordered like a sandwich. I was just like, all this greasy food's just gonna make me fall asleep. <laughs> Everything was greasy, and there was just like a sandwich. I'm like, damn. All right, we're eating sandwiches. Yeah, it was slim pickings a little bit with COVID. All the little mom and pop stores are closed down for the most part, and oh, went in this little hole. Yeah, the next restaurant, restaurant was like forty five minutes away. It was a Sonic. I'm like, I'm not driving forty five minutes for a Sonic. No, but it was a nice <laughs> like, little hole in the no wall way. place. I don't know what. I'll like eat 10... Twix bars before I drive forty five <laughs> minutes for a Sonic. There's probably what ten or twelve tables in that place, and one server. 
taken care of everything. All, and everybody. then she had to run the little general store, like just classic small town Midwest. Like she had, she had to, she was waiting on twenty tables, and there's a store next door that she has to run, and she just poor poor lady. Yeah, busting busting her butt, but. Yeah, so got got some food, and then we got back out after it after a while, and I don't know what, another five miles before we had a bird contact again. We before went a we had ways. a bird sign, we're like walking, like it was, that was like the first area I've ever hunted, I'm like, this spot actually needs more cows, and, uh, and then we found what, like one feather, we're like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. there might be a chicken here. Yeah, and it wasn't wasn't that far from where you found that feather, another three hundred yards up the ridge, and and then no one wanted to trust Phil's dog because it had pointed like three hundred metal arcs that day. So <laughs> I walked to a three hundred first point. And it was a it was a lone chicken, who, <laughs> who is now in the cooler. Yeah, I had a, had a cool view of that one too. I chicken. did not. I hit it. I knew I hit it, and it, I saw the leg drop, and that's the last I could see. And you're like you're like dead bird, and I'm like. I hope so. It flew like a hundred yards. Yeah. 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 You definitely hit it with the first shot, hung a leg, and you thought you hit it again with the second. It kept going, and I just saw it right on the top. Normally, of the I would hill. never fire. Like normally, I'm like, all right, leg dropped. I don't need to fire a second. I'm like, no, this bird needs to die. <laughs> well, chickens are tough too. Uh, yeah, and I could just see right where it like crash landed on the top of the ridge and saw it bounce. I was like, oh, that's a dead bird. You, that, that's usually like a long shot. You hit him in the back. Have you ever eaten prairie chicken before? Nope, about to. Yeah. I mean, I've eaten sharp tail and sage okay. grouse, and pretty similar, I would think. I haven't had sharp tail or sage, but I have had chicken. Dark meat. Yeah, everyone cooks it like chicken, and it's not chicken. Mm-hmm. I had a friend up in Montana. He uh, he showed me how to cook sharp tail and. It's like honestly my favorite bird to eat other than sandhill. Interesting. So what did he do with it? Just just seared both sides real quick, cooked yeah. in butter and it's it's delicious. It cooks like a steak. Yeah. It's not it's definitely not chicken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So how did you get started into falconry? Um I was in the army. I saw a flyer for a falconry meet in uh where was it it was waco texas and i was like oh that sounds kind of cool man like were you stationed in texas at the time? yeah i was stationed at fort hood so i was like all right let's let's go so my wife and i went and we met up with uh at the time it was chris langevin i met um michael baran who's now my employer and spot he was my sponsor and then uh we met sheldon nicole i met lauren who like now they're all like really good friends of mine but at the time they were just like these really cool falconers that were open. I met Manny. Um, and I went out with a bunch of Harris Hawks, and we, I had uh, I had known the area, so I showed them where there was jackrabbits in Waco, and uh, I put those guys on jackrabbits, and then uh, we put them on squirrels. And I was like, How did you know where the, that stuff was at? Had you been running dogs at that point, or no? I didn't have any dogs at that point. I was still living in the was I still living in the barracks? Yeah, I was still living in the barracks in the army, so I didn't have any dogs. Um, I had known a couple people and I mean, you know, Texas, you know, one person, you know, like the whole town. So 
that person knew a bunch of farmers and mm-hmm. called everybody and was like, where's Jackrabbits? And next thing you know, mm-hmm. we had like the keys to Crawford, like right outside Waco. So yeah. I was able to put a bunch of falconers on Jackrabbits, which at the time I didn't realize how big of a deal it was. I'm like, oh, there's these big rabbits. Like, what's a big deal? Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I, they were, everyone was pretty pumped about it. So um, Michael actually offered me a job that night. So he's like, when you get out of the Army... Uh, I'll give you a job, and then so when I got out of the army, I started working for him, and that's when I got my permit. So I had moved up to work for him once I got out. Gotcha. Is and which was like a couple years later. Gotcha. Now, were you aware of falconry before that, or I had seen like one thing on PBS where like I mean obviously everyone's read My Side of the Mountain, like My Side of the Mountain, and they're like, oh yeah, I wanna I wanna do that and. I mean, my side of the mountain was cool, but um, seeing it in person, I was like, okay, that's actually really cool. I had seen another thing on PBS one time where it was just like a falcon lure flying in a field. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I had no idea what it was doing. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know they were hunting. I thought it was like a messenger falcon or something crazy. Yeah. I mean, everyone does, so. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I get that question fairly often, like. Could you send messages with it? Or? Well, yeah, because you, you see, like, Mulan, where it's, like, mm-hmm. this, like, lookout goshawk falcon thing. Yeah, with a red tail scream. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or, like, Game of Thrones, where these, like, carrier Harris hawks. Yeah. Yeah. Even Witcher, they have, like, a, a snowy owl with, like, that wears a hood. Uh-huh. Hmm. That's yeah. funny. I haven't played that game, but... Yeah, there's, like, this... It actually becomes like a pivotal part of the story, but there's like this snowy owl that's just wearing a giant hood. Like it's just got this massive hood <laughs> on this owl. It just looks like it's wearing a leather helmet. That's awesome. So when did bird dogs come into the picture for you then? Uh, bird dogs, I mean, I've always liked bird dogs. Um, but where they became, I mean, obviously when I got into falconry, I was into like jackrabbits and squirrel dogs. And I, I even ran squirrel dogs for a while. Um, Deckers? Um, my roommates had Deckers, but I, I had Dachshunds. Okay. And I, I liked digging with Dachshunds. I liked running. I mean, Dachshunds did a lot more uh, for me. And then, uh, what's it called? I had met uh, McDermott, and uh, he had a Vizsla Ruger, and uh, he helped me put my Harris Hawk on a bunch of quail. At that point, I realized I'm like you can't just you can't build a season over your buddy's dog. So yeah, I had a I got I had a setter and uh, he I got him later in life and he only lasted a couple of years. He ended up having seizures and didn't make it that long. But then after that, um, Mike had a Vizsla, so I was like, well, these dogs work. So I uh, I found a Vizsla and uh, got my own and then. Once I started building a season on just upland birds, I realized, like, one dog's not enough. Like, two is even, like, the bare minimum. Because, I mean, you stagger their ages, you get one dog going real good, and that dog gets hurt. Now you're leaning on that second dog. It's only a matter of time before that second dog gets hurt. And it's just, it, it's, it sucks that you need so many dogs, but I, now I get it. Because, I mean, if all you want to do is fly upland birds... I mean, you run at you, you lose dog power, you're done. Yeah. It's, it's over. Your season's done. So, and I had seen so many freak accidents. So, um, um, buddy of mine gave me another setter. So then 
and then we're at two bird dogs and then I realized how long it takes to train a bird dog so I'm like I <laughs> need to add a couple more because I don't want to train them and then that was like a kind of a huge mistake because I realized you can't train three at a time and um, now they're all caught up so now I've got now I've got like eight so um, you don't you don't need that many but I, I really enjoy them and it's it's nice gun hunting over them um, especially in the early season and it's kind of relaxing to end my day on like the days that I can hunt um, I always fly my birds over them at the end of the day but if I have a full day I can just go gun hunt all day and then fly my goss at the end of the day so yeah bird dogs who it was kind of like getting one was like a gateway drug, and then I next thing you know, it had eight. I'm like, Jesus, I got a few dogs now. Yeah, a lot of dog power, man. But it's as I found out with kind of dabbling in the bird dog world, like it's a necessity if you actually want to make a go at hunting. Like, just having one dog is not enough. No, you cannot cover much ground with one dog. Anytime I see someone with one dog, it, it's I'm sure the dog can hunt every day for like an hour or two. But if you're going hard, like three, four hours a day, I don't care who you are. No dog's gonna last doing that three, four, or five years. None. Yeah. Well, and I mean, think about how much cover we had to, or how much ground we had to cover today just to get into birds. And today was a pretty darn good day. So how and it was many days warm, are you I mean, going between bird contacts if you can only hunt for one or two hours with one dog? Yeah, or like how many how many birds is one dog missing? I think three is kind of the magic number because you can you can cycle them out. Um, but I like to run a brace of three, so having six, I can kind of switch every other day. Yeah, giving them time. Like I realize that giving them time off, they're gonna. They're going to last a lot longer. I'd like to have dogs that are still hunting at 10, not half dead at 6 or, six or 7. Right. So, but, yeah. I mean, you saw today. I mean, dogs get hot. You need to swap them out. And two dogs blew pads today. Like, that's it. Boom, yeah. done. Yeah. Trip's over for those two, so. Yeah. That was one thing that we were kind of talking about today as we were walking around is how different heat tolerant certain individual dogs are and how susceptible others are to it. It's really become like my favorite topic. Like I love discussing heat tolerance with anyone that hunts with it a lot. Like especially falconers. I mean, you if you're hunting, I mean, most states you're get you're given 180 day to or 160 to 180 day season. Like that's a most gun dogs have like a 40 to 80 day season. Yeah. See to ask a dog for a 180 day season that's insane <laughs> I can't that's imagine a yeah just leaning on one dog I, I can't imagine doing it you guys said something that I didn't really realize because I haven't been you know as deep into the dog world as you have that heat tolerance is pretty much strictly genetic yeah I learned that I mean it's it's definitely one of my favorite talk. I mean, I've seen siblings, man, like like a full litter of siblings, and like one dog just ha- like genetically figured out or just smart enough to pace itself at a, to know what pace it can run at at what temperatures, and like you can't teach that; it's just experience, and then some of it's just genetic. Like you saw two red setters run today, and they were siblings, and one was just cooked, and the other one was just 
moving all over God's creation at, at yeah. a steady speed. That yeah. that reason dog is incredible. She was covering a lot of ground too. I know you're talking up her Vishla, but that setter was covering a lot of ground too. Yeah, that even that Vishla was blowing me away. Like, um, I'm used to Vislas at like 300 yards, and that that Vishla was like four or five hundred yards. Every time I'm like, is that the Vishla or the setter <laughs> way out? I'm like, damn. Yeah, that was cool. I've never seen. I've definitely never seen trial dogs run. And that's a whole different ball game. Kelly runs those dogs on a horse. Those dogs are conditioned to know the game. So, like, those are, like, that's, like, that's the major leagues of dogs. Yeah. Know? I mean, sure, you could get, like, English pointers that would run bigger than that. But then you got to live with English pointers. <laughs> you awful quiet over there, Graham. Huh? I'm just listening and learning. <laughs> you know? You going to come out in the morning? No. No, man, I gotta work tomorrow night. Oh, damn. Yeah. I gotta leave by nine, so you should come out and be done by then. Yeah, you no, can I gotta, by nine. Huh? You I gotta go home. home, I gotta take care of the birds, I gotta feed dogs. Excuses, excuses. Whatever. And we drove... We drove 11 hours, slept two hours, and then hunted nine hours. You could do yeah, it. Yeah, but the thing is, what's... <laughs> I'm taking, like, people will fucking die <laughs> if I fuck up. Like, you know, if it was like, starve myself of sleep to go hunting, okay, sure. Starve myself See, of I sleep to go I, take care of people. I didn't know what you No, I'm not work. doing that. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, work on a cardiac floor as a nurse. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So I can't be. You can't be. Can't be fucking around. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> um,. But, yeah, I mean, it sounds fun. I would love to go, but not this time. Yeah. It uh, it was an enjoyable time, for sure. You've got dogs, right, Graham? Huh? You don't have no any dogs. dogs. Keep trying to talk him into getting one. He's he's waiting until he's in the right situation, too, which is not a smart move. No. Yeah. When you're ready, let me know. I'll, make you, I'll get you a dog. I may be calling you quicker than I thought. I told you my wife called me tonight and told me, oh yeah, hey, he's limping on that knee that we just paid a bunch of money to fix. Uh, what happened? I don't know. How old is he? Four. Blew his CCL. Yeah, that's... that's, that's he's a be, basket case. He's got bad hips and... Yeah. He's He's been a pain, but... So what you get for getting free dogs, right? The free dogs can go a million ways, man. I've had my best dog I've ever owned is was free, but yeah. then I've also had like free dogs that within a month I'm like get this dog out of this house. <laughs> I'll be curious to see how this new setter that you got the little puppy. Well, definitely curious about that, but the uh, the other one that's afraid of fences. I don't know what the hell happened to that <laughs> dog, man. He's I've never seen that in my life. I've never watched a dog run a, that, a quarter mile down a fence trying to find a way around the fence because it didn't want to walk under the fence. That may have been my favorite part of the day amongst a long list of that. I've probably said that about a half dozen times a day. But it was a free we, dog. I got it like three days ago. And uh-huh. uh, he doesn't like... I think he got like nuked by like a cattle fence or something because he yeah. will not cross a barbed wire fence on his own. Oh, no. Luckily where I hunt, I don't really have barbed wire. So True. What is he? He's an Irish setter. Okay. And we, uh, 
Other than that? Like, he has, like, the fear of God of that fence, man. Like, he does not want to go near. He'll come, like, three feet away and, like, Mm-mm. no, I'm not doing it. Huh. We were, uh... Did, and the owner, obviously, isn't going to give you any clue as to what that's about. I'm going to ask him, but he's gone through, like, three homes, so... Oh, okay. Could have happened before. It could have happened any, anywhere along the way. Yeah. Yeah, we were... He's cool. Dog, he handled great. He, I mean, around two, three hundred yards, which is pretty, pretty damn good for quail. That's about all you need. Yeah. Yeah, we were going to uh, pick up the chicken that you shot, and Phil was like, "Damn, he's working that ridge pretty good." And I was like, "No, he just doesn't want to cross the fence." He's like, "Oh, I totally forgot. I thought he's over there, two hundred yards, just working that fence." I totally forgot about him. I came back and I just saw him running back and forth, back and (laughs) forth, and I'm like. Oh damn, Parker! Come on, bud. Like he got in on none of the bird because he didn't want to cross the fence. I just, just forgot about him. Yeah. He's gonna, You're a little excited. It's gonna take a lot of hot dogs to get that dog to like a hot fence again, I guess. Yeah. Just yep. put him on the barbs. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like, I don't even know where to start. It's like the weirdest issue I've ever heard of in a dog. Yeah, I've never heard of it. But I'll bet that's what it is. He either got clotheslined by one or got fried by one. Gotta be. Or tried to jump one and just like hung by like his nuts or something. Yeah. Like just got stuck. Mm-hmm. I, I, it has to be like a cattle fence got him because those things hurt. Yeah, I've been hit with them before. It's not, not fun. So we normally use solar chargers to deter pigeons with jolt track on people's roofs. Well, mm-hmm. Um. I was trying to save some money, so I used the cattle fence one. So mind you, it's like a couple hundred volts for a pigeon. Well, the cow fence ones are like 12,000 volts. <laughs> well, one of my customers decided to put his hands on oh. it after I installed it. And he, he called me the next day. He's like, he's like, I put my hand on it at like 3 in the morning because I wanted to go outside to hear what the noise was. He's like, I've never woken up like that in my life. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm like, dude, that's to stop a bull. Yeah. And then uh, he sent me a bit. He's got. I've got a video of it somewhere. Like a pigeon steps on it, and it like it's like knocked out for like three seconds, and like stands. I thought you were gonna tell me like a customer like came. Friday. There's, there's like a dozen dead pigeons outside their door. <laughs> no, apparently it'll like kill grackles, but not pigeons. Like the mm. pigeons get knocked out, but then they're like, where am I? Hmm. Oh, yeah, I'm not stepping on that again. Yeah. It's an interesting gig that you do, getting to use, you know, different working dogs. And you do some, like, abatement type stuff, too, don't you? I really try to stay away from abatement, man. Like, I thought, like, abatement was, like, the ultimate dream job. And I've done a season of ag, and I've done industrial abatement, and I've done warehouse abatement. And uh, it just, it's really not that, like... It's cool, and if you're into that, like, great, but, like, having a whole team of birds for work just really makes you not like birds, or at yeah. least not for me. Yeah, I can see that, for sure, getting old in a hurry. I don't mind doing, like, a warehouse job or, like, a roost, like, breaking up grackle roost. Like, that stuff's fun, but, like, day in, day out, flying, like, Harris Hawks and Oplomatos on pigeons and grackles and starlings it's just not fun to me at all yeah seemed to have a pretty good uh, enjoyable season last year with this goshawk you've been flying yeah I, 
I almost burnt myself out, but like I've only before that I'd only had problem goshawks from other people. So it was like finally like all right, this is my goshawk and like every issue it has, I I have no scapegoat. I can't blame anybody. Like I've got to And then like part of it um part of what I did is I wanted to use a goshawk to like bring more bird dog people into falconry. Yeah. I think like I mean, when you think of, like, all the potential people you can bring into falconry, like, if I, you had to pick a singular group, like, bird dog people are perfect. They've already yeah. got the dogs. They already hunt a lot. And, I mean, if we're being honest, I think, like, a truly broke, like, great hunting dog, it takes a lot more work than most birds. I agree with you there. It, it's it's a lot of work and a lot of discipline. and um, So, like, I think... Bird dog people are great recruitment. So what I did is I wanted a goshawk that would fly over anybody's dog. So like I borrowed some of my buddy's dogs while raising them. Like I raised him around like 33 dogs and gave him like full immersion, like all these different crazy looking dogs that I don't own. And like I hacked him at a buddy's house that had a ton of dogs. And um, I hunted with a ton of gun hunting buddies that aren't falconers that they probably never will be falconers but I hunted over a ton of different dogs this year with him and like I wanted a goshawk that had no fear of dogs no matter what and yeah um that's what we did like I achieved that was my main goal and we did that so um I think it's cool like I love being able to invite um gun hunting people out and I'm like bring your dog if it's if it handles good and I trust it I'll we can fly my bird over it and uh, they just love it every time man it's recruited a couple falconers already in like a season that's awesome so i mean and you had quite a season last year yeah we 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 caught a lot of birds (laughs) yeah did you fly him like only in new mexico or did you travel with him too uh new mexico arizona utah nevada california idaho montana yeah, in Texas. Yeah, we went everywhere. That's awesome, man. The, the THA meet was probably like my, probably his best trip. Like, in the morning he caught two quail, a bunny, and two ducks. And I was like, nice. I was like, that's a goshawk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. That is awesome. I've seen a few goshawks fly. I got to see Mike's fly last year that bird's a rock star dude that that i really like that bird yeah yeah she bit off a little more than she could chew on that hunt she tried to take out a tom turkey and uh didn't go her way but it was still pretty fun she caught like three rabbits that day or something. there wasn't any hens around for her to no it was just just, just, just a tom off of the point off of triggers <laughs> so, Trigger, one of triggers pups yeah. yeah that's funny what's funny is the tom where it flushed from there's a covey of quail right next to it and so i think the Vishla was pointing the quail and it just so happened that the Tom flushed first and then the Gossok thought, Oh, that's what we're after <laughs> and chased it down. That can be scary. Like I had one of my Harris hawks one time chase a turkey through the woods and like at the time I didn't have telemetry, so I'm like oh, no. I'm like, Oh god, man, like I could like that turkey could kill my bird. Like, yeah. Not really something I want to catch. People get so excited to catch them. I'm like, I don't think you realize how tough a turkey is. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, if you're right there, like twenty feet away, no big deal. But when they catch it like 
quarter mile away, it's probably not going to be that fun. No. No, definitely not, especially if the turkey gets on top of them or something and they're whipping the crap out of them. My, to... my last goshawk, he caught a root, like a wild rooster, and uh, I got there and they were like facing each other. Like they, mm-hmm. they just had like a Mexican standoff. Like, <laughs> yeah. And I, I didn't, I mean, I had never heard like this would happen. After talking to a few people, I guess oh, it's yeah. pretty common, but like this rooster was ready to throw down. And I'm like, oh my God, these things are kind of badass. Yeah. Yeah, they are. He, uh, my, my current goss, we, I brought him up to Montana and, uh, I actually, I just wanted to catch huns. That's what I wanted to do. And we ended up catching some huns, but we were chasing huns the first day and a rooster got up and it like, wasn't even on my agenda. Like, like oh, I don't really want to hunt pheasants yet. I've never bagged him on a pheasant and rooster got up and he went after it and he smoked it. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Like right on. He totally smoked a rooster and then uh we ended up catching huns like the next couple days so it was a pretty fun trip but hunting a goshawk in montana um i learned that wind is awful um i'm where i live it's like 20 mile an hour winds is like a bad day but like that was like a good day in montana <laughs> there was like one day where it was like 60 mile an hour winds i'm like yeah this is not fun yeah what were the hun flights like Huns are cool, because so, after flying so many quail, huns were, like, super quail. They were, like, I mean, they're they're obviously near, like, farms and ag, but uh, the cool thing about huns is they would go up. Like, they weren't afraid to go up, and they'd stay as a covey, so there'd be, like, 20 huns, like, climbing through the air with a goshawk underneath them. Like, Interesting. See, when you bust them under a falcon, they split, like... Dude, oh, they stayed now they, they generally go the same direction. That's what I had heard, so that's but what they, I was expecting, just huns to go everywhere. Yeah. And I got a couple cubbies of huns up, and, like, they looked like flocks of starlings flying just, away. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, whoa, that is really cool. Like, I had no idea they would do that. And, I mean, at this point, he was a pretty seasoned quail bird, so yeah. he knew really well if he can get under anything, he can kill it. And yeah. uh, he would just get under him. So would he... Do one of those, or just... He didn't actually get to pull that, my favorite maneuver, off on Hans, but he got up, up underneath him and stayed underneath him long enough that Hans started dropping off, and yeah. then he just put in on him. Yeah. Um, uh, with Quail, oh my god, if he gets under him, he, he's gonna... I've got videos of him, he'll, he'll get under him, and then the quails, Quail panic, and they go up, and I'm like, every time I'm like, why, like, where in your head did you think that was a good idea? Yeah. <laughs> They're not gonna out. You're not gonna out climb a goss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they probably haven't encountered very many in their lifetime, though. We we've got a ton of Cooper's hawks, so but I'm sure Cooper's hawks don't get underneath quail. They're, right. they're running around. Coming from they're running around catching them in bushes. Mm-hmm. So they definitely do the death chitter though when a goshawk gets close. Yeah, I've heard of that. It's like, it's a vocalization, like, when I have gun hunting buddies with me, they're like, what is that vocalization? I'm like, that means they're about to die. Like, they, <laughs> they know they're about to die. They're very confident and their their life is over. That's interesting. It's like the last 30 feet when the goshawk's just catching up and they're just like, beep, 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 And they're like, what is that? Like, I've never heard them do that before, but they, they know it's over. That's one of my favorite things about falconry is the predator-prey interactions that we're pretty much the only one who gets to see that are happening day in and day out. Oh, in I, the wild. I, 
I've had like some serious respect for Scalies after hawking them that hard. I've seen Scalies just put the moves on Goshawks, and it's I love it. Uh, I have a video of one where like the Scalies just running like twenty feet in front of me, and it's just juking this Goss. This Goss is just trying to pummel it on the ground, and the Scalies stopping and flying like five feet, and then running back, and then just juking and jiving. Mm-hmm. It goes on for like forty five seconds. The Scalie just juking a Goshawk out, and then eventually the Goshawk got hot, and the Scalie just took off. And it was. It, it was like most gangster yeah. scale quail of all time. Yeah. <laughs> I left him alone after that. I'm like, that scaly earned he life. He earned it. <laughs> that one earned life. Yeah. yeah. What was the, what did you say about your selective quail breeding project that you have going on? Oh about? yeah, I'm selectively breeding wild quail that don't fly in holes. <laughs> you gotta leave the ones that don't fly in holes alone so that they all don't fly in holes. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I was thinking, you were talking about the roosters having a standoff. Uh, male huns will do it too with a falcon, actually, yeah. surprisingly. They'll, if you knock them down, well, actually, so... Do they just, like, fluff up? Like, I'm a and they, you know that uh, raspy sound they make? Yeah. When they flush, they do that. They'll vocalize, they'll fan their tail, and they'll kind of, <laughs> like, yeah. I'm trying to picture a hun looking tough. I know, I know. At least, like, a rooster's got, like, spurs, and they're pretty big. So, yeah. But, like, a hun is, like, a... Clementine, yeah. or not a Clementine, like a grapefruit, like mm-hmm. an angry grapefruit. Yeah. <laughs> so they'll, yeah, they'll do that, they'll vocalize, and uh, they won't, like, try to fight, but they'll stand up until the bird comes in on them. I've right? seen Gamble's quail do it, too. Okay. A good male Gamble's quail will, like, totally try to step to a goshawk. No kid. It does not work, but, like, if there's young or a hen around, uh-huh. they'll, they'll, they'll sacrifice themselves. Do you see... So with quail biology, do they pair off in the spring? Which species? Uh, scales. Scalies pair off really hard. Like Okay. And I, do you see that, start seeing that by the end of your falconry season? No, you don't see scalies pair off till like May or June. Lame. Okay. So you start to see it in, at least in Washington around February at the very earliest. Then with valley quail? No, with uh, hunts. Oh, okay. And so you'll see male hunts will be the last one. Like, they'll fly slower than the covey, or they'll fly slower than their mate. Yeah. Do you see that at all with quail? Yeah, early season quail, I learned that. Okay. You'll, you're like dog point, you're like, all right, this should be a ton of young quail. Uh-huh. The, the sentry male will fly first and fly some, like, stupid path mm-hmm. and suck the goshawk over that way. He'll fly to, like, some thick cover. Mm-hmm. And then, like, you'll be, like, walking towards your bird, like, I'm going to go pick my bird up and try for a reflush. And then, like, 30 babies will just get up and go everywhere. And you're like, oh, my God, my bird's over there. Yeah. So I kind of left him alone this year. Like, obviously, last year I had to fly early quail. But, like, mm-hmm. this year I'm like, he's a made bird. He's killed over 170 quail. Like, he does not need that anymore. Like, mm-hmm. I can wait. Yeah. Plus, I really don't want to. This is a great time of year to gun hunt and just kind of re- relax and kind of not take it easy, but... I'd rather hunt once it's cold. Goshawks are a lot more fun when it's cold. Mm-hmm. It'd have been a very different trip having to pack a goshawk around out here. It would have been a nightmare, dude. Yeah. Like we would have to leave it somewhere, come back and get it before we hunt. Like you can't just leave it in the giant hood; it's way too hot. Like even the back of the truck gets ninety while we're hunting. Like it's just. I mean, the fans are fine. The dogs are fine. You can throw ice in them with them, but like a goshawk, if it if a goshawk decides to start doing cartwheels in the box, it's over done so. 
definitely don't want that. I went through it last year, like, trying to go to Montana in the early season, and then, like, I was working ag last early season with a goshawk, which is the worst idea ever. Um, I will never, I, well, I mean, I obviously don't want to fly ag, but I do not recommend taking a goshawk on an abatement job. It was just awful. Why is that? It was hot, man, and I, where I was doing abatement, I mean, abatement, you're flying sun up to sun down, so there's just, and then, so I'm like, yeah, I could go hunt on my lunch break, but it's like 90 degrees, I'm not gonna go yeah. fly my goshawk on a 90 degree lunch break, and then if he flies off. No, it just it wasn't worth it. Yeah. Luckily, I had two days off a week, so I would I was in California, so I would drive all the way to Reno from California, and uh, it was like three and a half hours on my days off. And I was able to hunt them a couple days a week, like seriously. I could chase chucker and quail over in Reno. Did you catch any chucker last year with your house? He dropped one. It's a sore subject. Yeah. Mike caught too, so he he do he reminds me. Yeah. <laughs> so a number of these things you're talking about that you did or did and didn't like or would or wouldn't do in the future, and a lot of this seems to be related to, at least in my mind, having an imprint exhibitor in its first year. So my question to you is, are you thinking about your next exhibitor, and what are your thoughts on it? Would you do another imprint? Would you do I wouldn't fly anything else. Nothing else? I wouldn't fly anything else. I like... I've flown a chamber bird, and I, I like Mike's chamber bird, but even to me, like, I the chamber birds I've seen, even the really good ones, they're just missing that seventh gear that an imprint has. Interesting. And then I've never, like... I, a lot of chamber birds, really, that I've seen just really don't like to do multiples. Mm. They'll go all out for that first one, but then they, like, kind of fizzle on that second one. Um, I mean, my imprint, I mean, he'll catch 10, he doesn't care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you give him three M&M sized tidbits and he's like, all right, where's the next one? Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just give him the lure and pick him up. You don't even have to give him a trade off. He's just like, all right, where's the next one? Yeah. The thing I did notice, um, in order to have him fly quail well, I had to sacrifice his duck hawking ability. In order to fly ducks, he has to tolerate a lot. He had to be at a low weight and be in the city mm-hmm. where I live. Um, and to fly quail, those weights wouldn't work. He, he just, he ran out of gas. And the quail were just the most demanding thing. I mean, scaled quail will fly a quarter mile mm-hmm. consistently on an mm-hmm. initial flush. So if he didn't have the gas to make it to the point, to either catch it on the initial or stick it long enough to get you that reflush on a tired bird um it just wouldn't work so what would happen was when i had him at duck hunting weights he would he'd chase quail like really hard like come inside out but he just didn't have the energy he needed to seal the deal yeah so that's what i'm curious for this season if i can duck hawk and have a solid quail bird Mm mm-hmm so is it he just doesn't have the drive on, you have to kind of squeeze him a little bit to get him the drive on ducks? He'll chase like wood ducks and like uh, teal and uh, what else? He loves shovelers. <laughs> He'll smoke a shoveler all day because he knows he can fly a shoveler down. But if it's like a mixed group and there's mallards in there, he wants nothing to do with it. He got he got whooped real hard by a mallard mm-hmm. like real, when he was young, so... 
he had caught a mallard on the other side of like an irrigation and I was dude I was not swimming sh- looking back I should have but at the time I was like I'm not swimming across that it was just just gross and yeah. uh, the mallard ended up throwing him off and then just like wing whipped the living hell out of him and he just does not want anything to do with mallards after that yeah he caught a wood duck and he caught a couple he caught like six or seven shovelers and uh, what else did he catch uh, he cut a widgeon that was that was kind of it for his ducks. He didn't really catch that many. Gotcha. Caught a couple coots. He he, I mean, I don't think any bird can say no to a coot. <laughs> Kamikaze coots. Yeah. Now, do you live by the adage that you eat everything you catch? Dude, I tried to eat a coot. Like I, I <laughs> genuinely tried, and it just made my kitchen smell like hot mud. Uh, it's just like I'm not eating this. There's no way. Yeah. I'm sure it's some dude from food. Louisiana's got some great coot recipe, but I just didn't have it at the time. So yeah, I'm sure if someone else like cut it, prepared it, cooked it, I mean I'd eat it. But I just once I smell an animal that smells bad, I'm just like I don't want to eat that. I yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard the guys down south really do like eating them, but I don't. It's hard telling whether or not they know what's good and what's not. That's kind of like the. The people on, like, tuna boats that say you have to, like, eat a beating tuna heart or, like, the deer guys that mess with people and say you have to, like, eat the beating heart. Like, yeah. killed a lot of deer. I never had to do that. Yeah. There was a falconer that I'll leave nameless, but he went over to the, the Czech Republic and they they told him when they catch a roe deer, he had to, like, take a bite of the heart and, like, they totally laughed at this American just, like, munch into a roe deer. Yeah. <laughs> You can eat it raw. There's, I mean, sure you can, but like, doesn't mean I want to. No, it doesn't uh, appeal to me whatsoever. But it's like a picture of him holding the heart, and he's got like blood all over. His face. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all the Czech founders is laughing. Yeah. But yeah, as for doing another goshawk again, first of all, I really don't want to raise one for a while, like to yeah. put all your energy. Because, like, imprints are truly that bird that, like, you get everything you put in, but you better put in a lot. Mm-hmm. So, like, um, I, I enjoy them, but I just, I don't have the energy to do it for, like, another year or two, at least. Yeah. That's... Like, if he got tragically killed, I'd probably just trap a Merlin and just relax for, like, a season or two. <laughs> just yeah. something, something a lot easier. Yeah. That's that's the deterrent for me is like like I've raised uh, jurors imprints and like I know how much it takes to do it right and I couldn't I wouldn't want to do it any other way and that that's not for me like yeah it's just not for me like I'll stick to passage birds forever but like an imprint juror is something else like my buddy Greg Rayburn he lives near me he had the most badass imprint juror. he flies it on jacks with some salukis mm-hmm. and she was like seven or eight years old she got killed last year but after seeing like how good they can be like I don't want if I'm going to do that I don't want to do it any other way yeah I mean he hacked her and yeah they're just they're such a slow developing bird I, I can't imagine doing them another way yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, though, it's just, I don't want to, my maternal instinct isn't that strong. That's the thing for me. 
you don't want you're saying you don't want to take the hassle to deal with it or you're afraid you put to me, that much time into something and then it gets killed or something mm, happens to it to me it's not even like the raising part that's hard like yeah that, that I mean it's work but like mm-hmm. that's not the hard part the hard part's like hack hack is a lot of friggin work like I hacked my goshawk so, and a friend's goshawk together tell me a little bit about that cause that I don't have any experience with I have re- I have experience up to about you know 60 days it made everything easier, okay. but going through hack. So, my house was obviously not an ideal hack site for two goshawks. I lived in the middle of Albuquerque. Like, I can't have screaming goshawks flying around downtown Albuquerque. It's just not gonna work. Yeah. So I hacked forty five minutes away at a friend's house who had quail in his yard. He had caught. I mean, he still lived in a neighborhood, but he had like, it's a little bit like less developed than where I live. So he had quail in his yard. He had massive homing pigeon loft so I hacked my goshawk and a friend's goshawk mind you I will never hack another goshawk for someone else again like that was the most that part made it not fun because it wasn't just my goshawk out there and my goshawk was wild taken it was my buddy's goshawk who's a great friend of mine that I don't want to ruin that relationship with a friend yep. and he had paid a lot of money for his goshawk so he had the expensive goshawk like my goshawk was five dollars his goshawk was like a couple grand so I'm, and then I'm responsible for this bird. He's in another state. I'm hacking his bird. I'm, I'm out there, and I, I got, and then calling two goshawks in and making sure they get picked up. Everything has to be perfect. So it, I, I would just hack one goshawk, and then that's fine. But so I hacked it at a buddy's house. So every morning, for twenty three days. I woke up at 5 in the morning while it was still dark. I loaded two goshawks in giant hoods so they got used to their giant hoods. I drove them 45 minutes to my buddy's house. I let them out while it was still dark and cool because, mind you, Albuquerque is 100 degrees this time of year. So they, the only time on hack they're really flying around is the first couple hours in the morning and then the last couple hours in the evening. They would just sit. During the day, it's easy. They they sit in a tree in the shade. They don't, they don't want to fly around. I mean, they'd soar around a little bit, but... Mm-hmm. And then the other part of Albuquerque that made the hack kind of hard, other than, so, 45 minutes there, and then I had to go to work. And then what was cool was what I did is I hooked up a, an iPad at the hack site and put it in broadcast mode with GPSs on the birds. Mm. So I could log in from my phone while I was at work, and I could check on where the birds were. And that, that made hack really simple. Like, I could zoom in and be like, Oh, the birds in the neighbor's yard. I'm gonna swing by there real quick, and my job's pretty flexible, so I could swing by and like go pick the bird up and bring it over to the the site it was supposed to be. And then after the first week, it really after the first week's not that bad because they fly around, they can get away from stuff. So, but like that first week was awful. Like I recommend if you're gonna do it, like you just need to spend that first week with them because like they would go to the neighbors and then like. They'd, like, ride the ceiling fan around their porch, and, like, they're just really dumb. And they'd, like, sit on the automatic gate at, like, another neighbor's house, and then, like, cars would come and go, and the, the goshawk's just, like, riding this gate. <laughs> just, like, really, really dumb stuff. And, like, or they'd, like, hop in the neighbor's yard, and they, they couldn't figure out how to get back over the fence. And, like, the last thing you want is them to get mauled by a dog. Right. Um, and they're very loud on hack, and a lot of people were, like, you made that bird a screaming monster and all this stuff. And my bird was stone silent at like four or five months old. Like, 
I mean, I had advice from people that had done it, so it was just funny to hear from other people, like, oh, you made that bird a screaming monster, and, like, now you can go to my house, you can't even tell I have goshawks, they're silent, mm-hmm. so. Um, have you, have, have you read, uh, Flying of Falcons? Yes. So, that, for me, was, like, a light bulb to the whole screaming, mantling behavior thing, as it being a developmental stage and or communication as opposed to just hunger like it's not as simple as hunger or no it's absolutely not no i mean these birds are on hack they're hog fat like Mm -hmm. my bird ended up flying at like 660 i hack it was like 810 holy shit and he would still come in screaming at the end of the day like yeah me me like i i have like vivid dream like nightmares about what this bird sounded like like (laughs) Because like, even, even, this was my first time hacking goshawks, so um, even in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, Mike's done it dozens of times, and he just keeps saying, don't worry, keeps saying, don't worry, but all these internet experts are all like, you need to worry, you need to worry, so like, you can't help but let it infect your mind, you're like, maybe I am making a screaming monster, like, it would land on your head and like, flap and row, and you're like, oh god, but looking back I'm like yeah it's just a developmental window they're just talking to you mm-hmm. and then there's a lot of people that can't really separate talking from screaming mm-hmm. yeah well uh, jurors are like super vocal but not in the way that like peregrines are you know what I mean yeah like I wouldn't a loud peregrine on anybody mm-hmm. no but jurors will talk to you you know what I mean like optos will too yeah mm-hmm. Goshawks talk like uh, if you watch any of my quail hawking videos, mm. this was one of my favorite things about the product of my bird was he would see a dog go on point and he'd start like he'd start talking like he'd be like beep he'd just like make little like meeps and like weird R two D two noises yeah and you could hear him get like really excited and he'd start shuffling on the glove and sometimes he would just get so excited he couldn't help it and he would try to land on the dog's head and the dog's on point like yeah. I couldn't get any of my dogs to accept that. They were like, hell no. <laughs> so then the dog's like this, like trying to point the bird. There's a goshawk just gently sitting on his head and there's quail going everywhere. And he eventually stopped that. But like, it was kind of funny for a little while. Like my Vizsla is, I mean, Trigger, he's been around two other of my goshawks. So he's like, there's a goshawk on my head. Like, this is not good. Like, this is not going to end well. So mm-hmm. there's little baby birds landing on his head, like right before a quail slip. And he's like, nope. I don't. I need to get out of this situation. So. Yeah. Well, I think uh, we need to head to bed for too long. Any closing okay. remarks, gentlemen? Nope. It was it was great talking with you guys. It was kind of more of ramblings, but I enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's been a really fun day, man. I hope you make it in the morning. I'll be there. Yeah. I'll make it. We'll get you a chicken. Let's make it happen. I'm excited. Don't let the falconers bully you. Shooting birds over dog point is just as fun. Oh, it's I, totally different. It's it's I, it, they're just their own things. I don't hunt to impress other people. I do it to enjoy it. And oh, I, I know, I but I, I, I definitely like dogs. to like. I definitely like to shut people up. Sometimes. <laughs> like, but, oh, you're just shooting them. It's easy. I'm like, you've never walked 14 miles for a chicken slip in your life. Like, go away. It's a different thing, and that's... We, and it, like, or they don't even have a bird dog, like, you don't get it, like, it's, it's, 
To each their own. You can you can do different things and enjoy yeah. it and keep your mouth shut. To me, like, I can go out and run my dogs and I can fly my bird over my dogs and I'm still having the same amount of fun. Like, yeah. Like, when everything goes perfect with a bird over a dog, yes, it is it, it is unrivaled. But, like, I can still have days like that with just dogs. Yeah. It's possible. Yeah. Like I was telling you, I, you guys were worried, like, am I, is he having fun to see, you know, whatever? Because I was taking pictures for a good part of it and I was like dude this like I'm in heaven I'm getting to watch good dogs run and we're actually getting into chickens and like this is a new experience for me I'm I'm quite content yeah I hope you guys can make it out to New Mexico and like see my dogs in their element on quail like that'd be fun man my dogs do great on a lot of birds but like my dogs do really well on scaled quail like that is their game that I do really want to see that because I'm guessing you were raised the same way, but like we were raised around bob whites, which are like the gold. You know, to most bird dog guys, they're the not most bird dog guys, but to eastern bird dog guys, bob whites are the gentleman bob because they hold and blah 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 blah. And that's what makes me love scalies because everyone curses them, everyone hates them, and I'm like, yo, these can be really fun, man. They're like seeing I actually watching a video that you posted of it was like the most intense game of whack-a-mole i've ever seen <laughs> with, with this scaly like running around the dogs are going nuts and the goshawk was going nuts and i was like you cannot deny that that looks like an insane amount of fun it's it's always different too like I, man like i have hunted almost every single upland bird in the United States, I've, I, I, short of the couple species of ptarmigan and then some like random rails, I've, I've hunted everything here mm-hmm. as far as upland birds go. I dig scalies, man. Like they're fun. Like they're always different. They never do the same things. And like, I like watching a dog work a running covey. Mm-hmm. Like, and like, and then when you get two dogs that learn how, that figure out how to work together and pin that covey and stop forty quail from running. And then once the quail figure out that, like, oh, oh man, the dogs stopped us, like, they just go everywhere, and it's just mm-hmm. chaos. That's awesome. And then, like, to a lot of falconers, they'll talk about quail hawking as, like, a singular thing. Like, quail hawking is quail hawking. There's six species of quail here. They're all different. And then, like, different terrains make them even more different. Like, mm-hmm. I have some gambles quail that I wouldn't dare fly a bird on, but then I have some gambles quail that it's, like, top shelf, like, falconry, like... They're going to fly. They don't have awful cover. They don't have much cactus to work with. But then I have, like, gambles in, like, riverbeds where it's, like, cat claw and desert scrub over your head where it's, like, mm-hmm. we're bringing shotguns and we're bringing a lot of them and we're bringing <laughs> a lot of dogs because, like, that's the only way those quail want to party. Yeah. So, I don't know. I wish more people would try try the other quail species, like, like Montezuma. I could talk about Montezuma for hours. And most people don't even know what a Montezuma quail is. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's the sad thing is that guys that are serious about doing upland hunting in the U.S. are kind of a dying breed. Like, numbers are dropping. and That's fine. There's there's so much public land to hunt, and there's so many birds out there. And yeah, They, they took bird dogs to um, a place in Texas where they had radio-collared cubbies. They knew where every cubby was. The best bird dogs in the country found 17% of the quail on that like piece of property over a seven week period or a seven day period. Oh wow. That's how much dogs miss. Like there's just 
they're dogs, man. They're not fucking robots. They're not heat-seeking missiles. Like they're, they're, they still gotta find them. Yeah. Yeah. So and that's what makes it exciting. Is so you never really the know best. Exactly they took like there. the best bird dogs of like all these different breeds. It's like a really cool study. It was like the TMU Coil Research Branch or whatever. They found seventeen percent of the cubbies. So all these people that are like, oh, all the birds are gone. I'm like, no, you just your dogs aren't as good as you think they are, dude. Like those were the best dogs. Yeah. I'm I'm sure my dogs. I mean, I know my dogs miss birds. It's just it's just part of it. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think uh, while there are still lots of birds, there aren't as many as there were, obviously, because I I go through a lot of small towns where they're you're like, are there chickens here? Are there quail here? Whatever, and they're like, no, they're they're not. They're just Dude, I don't see them anymore. And I go out there and I'm like, this looks like it have chickens. And literally every spot that I stop, and I'm like, this looks like it would have chickens, or this looks like it would have whatever usually chickens, I find chickens. You know what I mean? It's just, it like has to slap a townsperson in the face. for them. We to were be joking like, about that today. Like, locals are the worst advice. Always. Yeah. It's always the out-of-towner that shows up for a week and is like, bro, I found 40 cubbies of chickens because mm-hmm. I actually got off my ass. Yeah. And just put it in work. Yeah. Well, we're, uh, yeah. I went down to Arizona to hunt Merns for, we went down there for like two weeks. And everyone's like, it's really bad bird year, really bad bird year. We found like over like 50 fucking cubbies. I'm like, yeah, each of the cubbies weren't huge, but they're still fucking, like they don't just disappear and come back in a good year. Like they're not like, oh, we'll, we'll check back in in a good year. Like they're still there. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Whatever. I don't, I guess I don't need to convince more people to hunt quail. I really like hunting quail. I want to do a Maryland autumn, though. All right, that's going to do it for this go-round. We had a great time meeting up with Tyler, and even though we were all a little bit sleep-deprived, we had an enjoyable conversation. We really hope that we can uh, cross paths with him sometime down the line and maybe even do some hunting down in his neck of the woods. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a huge favor, and wherever you get your podcasts, like, comment, and subscribe, and Share Tail Chase with a friend. If you'd like to see more of our content, check us out at our website, tail-chase.com, or on social media at Tail Chase Productions. Thank you for listening, and as always, happy hawking.